On this episode of the Maryland Baseball Network podcast, we break down Maryland's series in Louisiana last weekend and the midweek victory over Delaware. Then we pick a Terp of the Week and a pick to click this weekend and preview the upcoming series against the Stetson Hatters. Also, we sit down with Maryland reliever John Murphy. Here we go. This is the Maryland Baseball Network Podcast. Here's your host, Connor Newcomb. Hey everybody, welcome into episode number 60 of the Maryland Baseball Network podcast. Connor Newcomb here, joined by Joe Catapano. Joe, thanks for being with us in podcast number one of the post-Justin Galanti era. It's great to be here. I haven't been on one of these since I think the schedule release in the fall, so it's good to get back in the mix of the podcast things without Justin here. I don't think I'll be able to replace him in full, but I'll do my best. No one will be able to, Joe, but we start with the Terps last weekend in Louisiana against... The University of Louisiana, formerly known as Louisiana Lafayette, either way, the Ragin' Cajuns and the Terps started off that series, Joe, with a huge victory on Friday night. It all started with a big start from Hunter Parsons as he just continues to roll along for Maryland. Hunter Parsons has looked really good. I know that first start of this season uh, was good, not great, but ever since, he's been the Hunter Parsons that we knew from last season. Um, and it's just good to have that guy on Friday night that you know you have a really good chance uh, to win a game. It's kind of the same feeling you had with Schworn back a few years ago and Brian Schaefer. You're confident in throwing out Hunter Parsons and getting that first victory of the, in the first game of the series and then just needing one of two to win the series. It didn't happen last weekend, but you've got to feel confident rolling out Hunter Parsons there every Friday night. Parsons on Friday against Louisiana, seven innings for him in the start. He allowed just one run on five hits, struck out six, walked a batter, and hit a batter. Threw 106 pitches through seven innings and left the ball game with the Terps on top by a score of four to one. So had a pretty nice little cushion there. Will Glock came in to start the eighth, and I think the Terps coaches maybe were trying to steal some outs before they got to, Mur to Turnbull and Murphy at the end of the bullpen. Didn't really work out like they maybe wanted it to. Will Glock came into the game. He walked a batter on four pitches. Then Andrew Vale comes into the game. He did get one out via a strikeout, but he also walked the first batter he faced. After he got the K, then the Terps turned it over to Nick Turnbull, who got out of the jam, only allowing the one run, made it 4-2. to two. And then Maryland turned it over to John Murphy, who struck out the side. He did allow one hit in that ninth inning, but he locked down the 4-2 to two victory. And obviously, that was huge for Maryland to start off the weekend in Louisiana with a big victory. And it's something the Terps didn't really do last year. The Terps had a lot of series last year where they would even lose that Friday game and then come back with Bloom and Parsons and win a series. Now that they have Parsons on Friday, they can match up pretty much with anyone on a Friday night. Yeah, you just didn't feel that same last year. Um, and I know Taylor Bloom was good and he had a very good Maryland career, but there's just a different feel of going out on Friday night with Hunter Parsons on the mound. And like I said before, you know you have a very good chance of winning that game. Um, you probably only need um, three or four runs to win the game, and that's exactly what they got on Friday night, uh, four runs. They didn't score to the fifth and still were able to claw out a 4-2 win. It got a little shaky there, like you said, in the bottom of the eighth. 
but Vale and Glock have been two of the better guys in the bullpen all year, uh, so you can't fault them for a little bit of iffiness here and there. And then, like you said, Turnbull and Murphy hold on, and Maryland wins the Friday night game and got off to a really good start last weekend. Yeah, they did get off to a great start. And even before that game was played Friday, it was announced that because of weather in Louisiana, they had moved the Sunday game up to Saturday. So it was one game Friday and then a doubleheader on Saturday between the Terps and the Ragin' Cajuns. And that first Saturday game, well, that was a pretty good ball game. 14 innings it lasted in that one between Maryland and Louisiana. And it was actually the Ragin' Cajuns who jumped on top early in that game. Couple of runs in the second inning of that one. And the Terps offense could not get anything going early in game number one. Dalton Horton, the starter for Louisiana, retired the first 16 batters he faced in that Terps lineup. But the Terps fought back. They got two runs in the sixth inning to tie the game. And they got one run in the seventh. And at that point, it was looking pretty good for Maryland. They had the 3-2 to two lead, but I think the issue was Turnbull and Murphy had each pitched the day before, and they tried to get outs out of those two guys again in that same game. And when John Murphy came in in the ninth inning of game number two of the series, game one of the doubleheader, he was up 3-2. to two. He didn't have his best stuff, still worked out of a jam, but the game went to extras and he blew his first save of the season. Yeah, this was a tough one just because it had a lot of different up and downs, like you said. Uh, it took Tommy Gardner's signal, signal with one out in the sixth to break up the perfect game. And then all of a sudden after that sixth, uh, it's a brand new ball game at 2-2. Zach Thompson uh, looked really good for the entire start other than the only mistake he really made was the two-run, two-out single he gave up in the second. At that point, you're like, oh boy, maybe Louisiana Lafayette's going to catch a little fire. Uh, but he settled in and only gave up those two runs. Um, and then Maryland had a lead going into the ninth inning. That's all you can really ask for. And like I think the big thing there is as Turnbull and Murphy pitched the day before, just couldn't hold on. That was a game Maryland probably should have won. And then Louisiana probably should have won the game at least three times. You might need to remind me on the different sequences, but there was a lot of different ones between vote tagging someone out at home, failed bunts. Like I think there was at least three times Louisiana should have won that game in extras. A lot of times they could have won it. Going back to Zach Thompson, he had another very solid start. Six and two-thirds, he allowed two runs. Only one was earned on five hits, five strikeouts, two walks, two hit batters in the game. He threw 103 pitches. Mark DeLuya came in, and his biggest spot of the season ended up finishing off the seventh, getting out of a little jam, and working through the eighth to keep the Terps in the lead three to two. John Murphy came in in the ninth inning and just didn't have the same control he had the night before when he struck out the side to get the save against the Ragin' Cajuns. The bases ended up loading with one away. Then there was a wild pitch that tied the game. And then Murphy thought he had a strikeout. The first base umpire called it a foul ball. Rob Vaughn ends up getting ejected in the ninth inning because of that. So Corey Muscara manages the rest of that game. Murphy gets out of the jam with the game tied at three. And then this game just goes on forever. Nick Turnbull still had pretty good stuff. Didn't get a strikeout but he went an inning and a third after Murphy. Elliot Zollner went an inning and two-thirds. Again, all these appearances scoreless for now. Will Glock went a third of an inning scoreless. Sean Fisher ends up getting the loss in the game. He is tagged with the one run over an inning, and Sean Hine did not pitch any part of an inning in the game. But Sean Fisher gets the loss as Louisiana Lafayette loaded the bases again in the 14th inning of that game and on an error on a ground ball to Ben Cows at shortstop it would have been a very tough play to try and turn two 
either way, but it was an error, and that's how Louisiana Lafayette walked it off. Now, as you said, Lafayette thought they should have won this game a couple of times. Once early in extra innings on a squeeze bunt with one out and a runner on third, Justin Vogt makes an incredible play, grabbing the baseball in front of home plate, turning around, diving with the bare hand to make the tag at the plate to keep the game going. And then in the 13th inning with two outs and two on, a shot to the right center field gap. Looks like the game is over. Chris Aline makes an incredible diving catch into the wall to keep the game going. So despite the loss for Maryland in game one, so many arms came in, got some big outs, so many defenders made big plays. It's a tough loss to get walked off on an error, but I think at least the pitching staff and the defense, despite the error at the end, probably felt good about that one despite the loss. I mean, overall in the weekend, you have to come, uh, come away with a really positive vibe. Um, I know all those relievers kind of got into a little trouble, but overall I thought the bullpen held on pretty strong um, in extras there. Just the amount of high-pressure situations, just in that one game alone, uh, really stands out, and I don't know if that's just recency bias coming in here, but I don't remember this many high-leverage situations earlier in the year, last year, um, and just down the road this season, just being able to get in and out of some of those, and I know they end up losing on an error, but just kind of being through some of those moments. Uh, I don't know if Chris Allen will ever make a catch again the way he did. That's maybe a once-in-a-lifetime catch, but just to be able to make a clutch play like that, um, make the right decisions, um, throwing the ball around the infield, vote making a tag like that. All those great plays, um, they could have happened over the course of an entire season, and they happen within a few innings of each other. I think it will bode very well um, in maybe some conference games later in the season when you have those high-pressure situations. So 45 minutes after Louisiana walks it off in game one, they start game two down in Louisiana. And that one, another pitcher's duel, Trevor Labonte, got the start in that one. He was great again, and Labonte is going to be a big piece for the Terps going forward, it looks like. He goes six innings, allows just one hit, no runs against him, six strikeouts, two walks, two hit batters for Labonte in another great Sunday start for him. The Terps finally break open the scoring. They get a run in the fifth inning. Cody Milton gets the start in the game. He still had an offer on the season. Didn't get a hit, but it was an RBI sack bunt that scored Sebastian Holti-Mansera and gave the Terps a 1-0 lead in that game. It still was 1-0 as we got to the seventh inning after Labonte had pitched six scoreless. The Terps loaded the bases in the top of the seventh with one away in that game and had a chance to really break things open and help out the Maryland bullpen, which was a little decimated after the game Friday and then the 14 innings in game one of the doubleheader. Terps really needed to break things open with the bases loaded. Instead, Caleb Walls and Randy Bednar both went down swinging, and that just seemed like a little bit of a turning point in game number three of the series. Yeah, just another tough one. Just If the first loss of the day wasn't tough enough, the second one uh, was just right there with him. And especially, uh, you talked a little bit about how Trevor Labonte, how good he was. Um, the entire pitching depth. Louise only had two hits and won the game. Like That's tough to swallow, and obviously you mentioned a little bit of a turning point there. Um, just not enough run support, just the one run on nine hits for Maryland and committed a couple more errors. Uh, Louisiana, just, it literally stole this one and stole the day, stole the series, uh, and kind of leaves a little bit of a bitter taste um, exiting the weekend after you arguably could have won all three. You had a good Friday night, uh, had a lead in the ninth um, in the second and third games and walk away with a series loss. Like, that's tough to swallow, but for a young team, um, I know Rob, 
um, after the Delaware game that we haven't talked about yet, um, he said that they all sat down in the hotel um, and talked about the series and what went, what went wrong and what they can do better in the future. And I think kind of losing moments like this will um, be very good for a team once conference play starts. The Terps still did have a chance to win that game, though. They were up one to nothing in game number three, but obviously couldn't score in the seventh. But the Terps got out of a jam of their own in the bottom of the eighth inning with runners on second and third and one away holding on to the one nothing lead. Andrew Vale came into the game. He got a strikeout for out number two, then an intentional walk and a big ground out to keep the game at one nothing. Terps did not score again in the top of the ninth inning. However, they did get two runners on base again in that inning, so another missed opportunity. And then in the bottom of the ninth, really the issue was for Maryland, Murphy and Turnbull seemed like neither of them were available. Murphy had pitched in the first two games. Turnbull had pitched in the first two games of the series, including one earlier in the day. So neither were really available. Andrew Vale starts the ninth inning with a four-pitch walk. He gets pulled for Sean Hine. Hine allows a single, and then on an error on the play, the runner goes from first to third, and then the runner from first moves up to second, so two in scoring position already. And then you had a fielder's choice RBI, which tied the game at one, and then finally the bases were loaded with one away, with Hine on the mound, and a ground ball hit to Cody Milton at first base. Maybe the moment got to him a little bit. He one-hopped the throw to the plate. Sebastian Holtimoncera couldn't hold on. And that was the game. The Terps walked off on again via the error. As you said, Louisiana Lafayette, they got one hit in that ninth inning, but they got two hits the entire day and beat the Terps, which made it really a tough series to swallow for Maryland. It felt like they could have had all three, at least two, but they get just one, unfortunately, with two walk-off errors. But, Joe, they turn it around, come back in a midweek against Delaware on Tuesday, and the offense got the hits that they didn't get in that doubleheader Saturday, and that led to a win over the Blue Heads. Yes, yeah, season high in runs with 11, season high in hits with 13, uh, and that's a very good response, um, especially coming off a tough weekend like we just explained. Uh, very cold midweek game. Um, that's a kind of game where maybe you don't get up emotionally as much um, just given the opponent who was 0-10 entering the day. Um, but they didn't roll over. They came out they gave up a run in the top of the first but Maryland came right back scored three runs in the bottom fell down later in the fifth and then responded with another three run fifth um, just seemed like every time Maryland went down um, they responded right back and that's tough to do in a midweek game especially when it was as cold as it was um, and kind of sandwiched in between two big series uh, between Louisiana Lafayette and Stetson it was a cold midweek game at the Bob, Drew Wilden got the start the second of his career. He went just two innings last week in his first start against VCU. He got through just an inning and a third in this one. Mark DeLuya relieved him and did a nice job out of the bullpen. But as you said, the Terps had a 3-1 to one lead, and then things kind of got away with two outs in the fifth inning. Delaware ended up scoring five runs with two outs in that inning. Those runs charged two to Mark DeLuya, or excuse me, one of them to Mark DeLuya, and three of them to Billy Phillips in that inning. So it was a tough inning for the Terps. They lost the lead, but they came right back in the bottom of the fifth inning. At that point, trailing the game at 6-4 to four at the time being, and in the bottom of the fifth inning, Tommy Gardner drove in a run, Caleb Walls drove in a couple of runs, and the Terps grabbed a 7-6 to six lead. Then a Ben Cowles 2-RBI double in the sixth made it nine to six, and then a couple of solo homers. Sebastian Holtimoncera hits one out in the sixth inning, 
That is his first of the season. And then Maxwell Costas got his first one of the season in the eighth inning to make it 11-6. to six. And I think the big thing for the Terps, after Wilden, DeLuya, and Phillips really gave up some runs early in this game, the last four relievers out of the bullpen, Daniel O'Connor, an inning and a third scoreless, and then Will Glock, Nick Turnbull, and Sean Hine each went a scoreless inning. And the Terps got a nice little midweek victory. Now, you have to say, this Delaware team, they came in 0-10. They're now 0-11. But a win's a win for the Terps. And I think it was big after playing all those close games this weekend to have an offensive explosion and then have the young guys in the bullpen. It wasn't Murphy back there at the end. It was the young guys in the bullpen get big outs as well. Yeah, and um, after the game, Sebastian Holt and Sarah um, talked to the media, and he said it was the first time he felt the offense really throttled an opponent. Um, and obviously scoring double-digit runs will make you feel that way. Uh, a five-run win, I believe that's their largest of the year after the, all those um, closely contested games. Um, so, yeah, the offense looked really good. I think everyone in the lineup except one had at least one hit. Uh, up and down the lineup was looking very good. Uh, handled adversity well after that uh, kind of poor five-run fifth for Delaware to come back with three in the fifth and three in the sixth and kind of just put them away. And then, like you said, with the relievers, only gave up two hits after the fifth inning. Uh, very, very good. So in the last four games, two and two for the Terps, one and two in Louisiana, and the win over Delaware. And, Joe, for you, your Terp of the Week over these last four games is? So I'm going with Tommy Gardner. So maybe not a guy that's going to jump off on the box score, but let's kind of give some context to it. When A.J. Lee goes down, your uh, middle infielder, shortstop, senior, leadership guy uh, on Friday night and hasn't returned since, uh, Tommy Gardner moves in at second base. Ben Cowles starting second baseman goes to short, and that's a very young and inexperienced middle infield. And I thought defensively and offensively, Tommy Gardner had a very good weekend and kind of stepped in when a senior leader went down. Um, Tommy got three hits in the rest of the Louisiana series. He started both games uh, in a doubleheader and then came back with two hits again yesterday against Delaware. Um, so I think he filled that role very well. And then just any time a big senior leader goes down, especially a middle infielder, when then you had a freshman and a sophomore as your middle infielder, that could be tough. And I think Tommy and Ben both did very well at kind of filling that void while AJ's kind of uh, nursing himself. And for my Terp of the Week, I went with a guy as well who kind of got into the lineup this weekend when he hadn't been before. I'm going to go with Sebastian holti Monsera. Now, he didn't play a part in the first two games of the Louisiana series, but I think what he did in the last two games makes him deserving of this. He got the start behind the plate in Game 2 of the doubleheader, obviously. Terps didn't want Justin Vogt maybe to catch 18 innings after he had already caught nine the day before. So holti Monsera catches in game two of the doubleheader he goes two for four with a couple of singles then he gets the start as the dh with the bat heating up in the delaware midweek game and holti Monsera gets himself a couple of hits he goes two for two works two walks he's on base all four times at the plate against the blue hens the two hits a solo homer and an rbi double scored a couple of runs as well so he had a huge game at the plate and for holti Monsera. Good chance we see him in the lineup again this weekend against Stetson. But the hitters had – some hitters had some big weekends, but it was more pitchers who really got things together. And the Maryland bullpen was especially impressive this weekend. And obviously the big man at the end of that Terps bullpen is the closer, John Murphy. And I sat down with him to talk about really his transition from starter in his freshman year to closer now and what goes in to his mind when he steps on the mound as the Terps closer. So here is Maryland closer, John Murphy. Ramonte at first, curves at second, two outs in the top of the ninth inning. 
Murphy one strike away from completing the sweep. Murphy set at the letters. The 0-2 pitch. Strike three, got him swinging, and that's your ball game. Murphy strikes out three in the ninth, and the Terps beat Maine nine to six and sweep the series, moving to four and two on the season. No balls, two strikes, two outs in the bottom of the ninth. Murphy's ready. The 0-2 pitch. Swing and a miss, strike three, and the Terps win. Murphy strikes out three in the ninth, and the Terps take down Louisiana 4-2. Well, John, thanks for joining us on this week's edition of the Maryland Baseball Network podcast. And first of all, it took us pretty much forever to find <laughs> somewhere to actually record this episode of the podcast. But finally, we get to sit down and talk some baseball. Yeah, thanks for having me on. It was a lot of fun walking around T-Row trying to find a place to do this and a special thanks to taylor wright we ended up in taylor wright's apartment to record this <laughs> podcast but whatever it takes here on the maryland baseball network so we got to start with this weekend in louisiana obviously not the results you guys may have wanted with the one and two weekend but you guys were right there the pitching staff seemingly had a great weekend you guys gave up one hit in that second game of the doubleheader. the pitchers got big outs and extras in that first game how does the staff as a whole feel coming out of that weekend despite the two losses yeah, it was definitely tough to walk away with two losses, especially after really dominating them the first night. But I don't think anybody's really down because of those two losses, just because of the way we handled ourselves and pitched for 18 innings. Well, not 18 innings, so the first one was 16 innings. 16 innings and then the nine innings in the second game. Like, we really battled. We showed, like especially the young guys, that they're able to pitch at this level, and we showed a lot of maturity for being young, too. And for you personally, obviously, you came out, you got the save on Friday. Didn't get the outs you wanted maybe in that game on Saturday, but besides blowing the save, you still were able to come back in that inning after letting some base runners on it, get some big outs, and get that game to extras. So despite a blown save, do you still come out with a lot of confidence after how that inning ended? Yeah, for sure. I think, yeah, the, you walk away with the negative of, the blown save, but something I try to do a lot is just try to walk away with positives from everything. And giving giving the team the chance in extra innings was huge. Um, and I mean, I think really that has everything to do with the like adversity training that we do in the fall and the preseason. Like I really think that's all to everything that the coaches put us through in the fall to be able to get through that. So obviously that coaching staff includes pitching coach Corey Muscaro. It's now your second season with him what has he done with you because since you've been really almost a student of his it seems that's been your two years as the closer for this Maryland team so mm -hmm. what has he done with you not only mechanics and pitching but he's a big mindset guy yeah that's what I was gonna say um like he's worked a ton with me about my delivery and pitches but I think the most valuable thing that he's been able to teach me and every single pitcher on the staff is just how to is like mental training um, we, d we do this awesome thing where it's called a chaos training and it's pretty much us just sitting there with our eyes closed and him screaming at us like he'll walk up and just scream in your ear and when you don't know it because your eyes are closed or him saying some absurd things um, it's, as funny as it sounds I think it actually helps you because the main point is to listen to hear it like acknowledge what's being said but being able to get off of it as soon as as like as quickly as you can and I think that like it's something crazy or stupid happens on the field like you got to be able to get off of it quick and that's the kind of stuff that he does that I think is the most valuable just like the mental aspect of things and 
you talk about that, and that kind of brings me right to Saturday's game. After you thought you had a strikeout, the first base umpire calls it a foul tip. Rob Vaughn gets ejected arguing the call. Is that how you kind of stay focused in those moments, thinking back to that kind of training? Yeah, for sure. I mean, 90% of the things that we visualize, which we do a, a ton, is just like when things are about to go bad. And um, that's really what I try to do. I just try to go back on my – my training when those when your back backs up against the wall, and so you came in. Let's go all the way back to your freshman year. You come in with seemingly a chance to maybe become a starter for this Maryland team. It looked like mm -hmm. the Terps were trying to mold you into somewhat of a starting role as a freshman. By your sophomore year, you had pretty much settled into the bullpen and obviously had that great postseason. Got out of some big jams in both the Big Ten and the NCAA tournaments, which was a pretty smooth transition for you to the closer role last year and then, of course, this year as well. So how has that transition gone mindset for you going into a game from your freshman year where you're thinking, hey, I might be a starter, to now where you got to gear up for one or two innings at the back end of the bullpen? Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely been a pretty interesting ride because I've, I've been a starter my whole life, and that's really what I expected to be coming in here. Um, I mean, it just didn't work out for a lot of different reasons. But uh, the transition to the bullpen – Took took some time, but it wasn't really that big of a deal because, I mean, I kind of just wanted to – like at the beginning when I finally started pitching my sophomore year, it was kind of like uh, this is my chance to start pitching more. So kind of like back – like back – my back – excuse me. felt like my back was just like against the wall back then and like just had – felt like I had nothing to lose, so I just kind of ran with it. How's your stuff changed since then? Because I know the breaking ball looks a little different this year, but overall in those four years, do you feel like you've had more velocity? Do you feel like your approach with your pitches has changed at all? Yeah, I think the last three years I've really struggled throwing a breaking ball, and that, it was actually funny in the um, weekend last year against Indiana, where you know the one that I got ejected in. <laughs> even though that didn't end great, I actually like the the breaking ball clicked, and it was actually a really positive weekend despite everything else that happened. And then like all all summer, I was able to work on my slider and make it what it is right now. So for you, obviously, the stuff has worked, and now you really seem to be a guy with two plus-plus pitches coming out of the bullpen. And, of course, when you do come out of the pen, it's pretty much almost always been a safe situation. This year you've almost are going to catch up already to your safe situations this year than you were in all of last season. But you hear the police sirens when you come out of the bullpen, and the sheriff nickname now – I've been told that's been a nickname for you most of your time here in Maryland, but it's only been publicized <laughs> this year. Where, where did that come from? Well, it wasn't a thing freshman year. And then somewhere along the lines, I guess in the postseason, i got to give the credit to uh, Pat Heisel. He's a couple years older than me, former Terp. He, he, he uh, coined the nickname two years ago. And it was kind of big sophomore year, I guess, towards the end of the year. And then last year was decently big. A couple people called me. And then somehow this year it just, like, took off. I don't know if Patty was – out there telling people about it but uh it really took off this year it's kind of like it was there a tweet from pat heisel this year so, something happened where somebody called you the sheriff and then i think you got a, i think it was right after you got a save and then all of a sudden <laughs> this just took off yeah all all fall and winter all of my teammates were calling it to me calling me it but uh it, it didn't you got you guys didn't know about it like nbn they didn't know about it until i guess a couple of weeks before i think it was before the the season started somehow somebody found out about it and patty uh tweeted to you guys to claim claim the nickname. And now we can use it anytime you come in. But, you know, before the bullpen even gets to you this year, you've we've seen a lot of guys in a setup role, some middle relief role, you know, added some arms, especially Nick Turnbull, who's been great so far this season. But you just look at 
really two of the last four games. The game against VCU on Tuesday, which you guys used nine pitchers in nine innings. Mm -hmm. And then you look at the 14-inning game on Saturday where you guys just continued to have arms come out of the bullpen and get big outs. That couldn't have happened last year at all. <laughs> how, how much has it helped the entire bullpen just to have more arms out there? Yeah, I think it's huge. Like, we just can run guy after guy out after after these other teams, and I think every single guy that we run out is a stud. So, I mean, like, I'm pretty sure I talked to you about this the other day. It's like if you can run out guy after guy, no, the other team can just never get comfortable, like especially with the guys that we have coming out of the pen. And, and you know, it's it's not just veteran guys. I mean, guys like Will Glock and Andrew Vale and – Sean Hine, you guys have some freshmen out there that are going out and getting key outs. That seems like one of the most important parts of that bullpen is not just the numbers, but that it's true freshmen coming in there and getting some outs as well. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think a huge thing is when your young guys can step up and you don't always have to rely on experience. I think, and especially just for down the road, like it's good for them to get in there, like get a real taste of what college ball is like. I mean, it just – They've prepared so hard in the fall in the, uh, when we were home for winter break. Like, me and Andrew Vale were going to the gym almost every day, and that kid worked his tail off, and he's prepared 100%. So, speaking of Andrew Vale, I mean, is there something in the water up there at Gloucester <laughs> Catholic that the Terps continue to go recruit from? Obviously, it starts with Mike Schwarren, who we hope can break through into the big leagues this year with the Red Sox. He's pretty close up there in AAA. You've got you locking it down at the back end of the bullpen, and then Andrew Vale, who – has coming in some big spots this year, all from the same high school. What's going on up there that makes the Terps get some of their best arms? I mean, the place, it's, it, it breeds baseball players. It's, it's an awesome program. Um, it was a great four years there, and they just keep pumping out guys. I mean, you know, it's just kind of – they're just – GC's just gritty, hard-nosed baseball players, and that's what Maryland looks for, and that's what we are at Maryland. So that's why they, they always go back there. And now – for you guys coming up this weekend, obviously Stetson, which was such a huge series for you guys last season. That yeah. seemingly was your best series win when it was all said and done. That team came in. They were hot. They were 18-3 and three coming in. You guys took two of three, had maybe your best pitching weekend of the whole season. And mm -hmm. that team even got better, it seemed like, after that ended up hosting a regional. But now you go down there with the wins in your pocket, and this could be another couple of huge wins if you guys could get them into land. Yeah, for sure. I mean – we respect those guys a lot. They're they're really good. We were pumped up last year when we took two or three from them, especially with the arms that they can run out there. And I know they were they were a super regional team last year, right? So I mean, I'm not too sure what they're how they're doing so far this year. But I mean, it it doesn't even matter because you know that how good they are. Um, can't take them lightly going in there. And you know, we, we keep talking about preparation. I feel like we're very prepared to go in there and take it to them. And and it's not just preparation. Just seeing you guys. You know, obviously the sweep over Maine was big, winning the six games in a row. You guys getting off to a good start in the season. The team looks prepared. It also seems like things may be just a little bit looser this season and guys are really getting along. Yeah, for sure. Um, <laughs> I'm sure you guys can hear our dugout during the games from all the way up top, but, I mean, like, it's a ton of fun, and I think that's the biggest thing for us. Like, you just got to have fun, especially with a, a, a young group. That uh, a younger groups usually tend to – get a little worked up and get tight, especially especially playing at a place like we just did this last weekend. And I feel like being able to have fun in the dugout and make fun of each other, make fun of the other team occasionally when the coaches aren't listening, <laughs> um, just keep, is able to keep everybody loose and have fun, ready to play, especially the young guys. And how do you balance that with also being a senior leader on this team? You know, I think it's just there's there's definitely always time for fun, but when things need to be 
when you need to lock. There's certain type, type points in the game where everybody needs to be locked in, and you can have your fun, but you need to be locked in too. And that, the older guys just got to be able to step in and make sure guys just aren't like, like, um, jacking around in the back. And now, last thing I want to ask you, we've touched on this a little bit, but when you come into the game, you know, it's obviously gotten a little different for you, especially these last two years. And now this year, you've already been in quite a number of save opportunities. And we know it looks like this Terps team this season with the arms you guys have, the matchups, you guys are probably going to play a lot of close games this yeah, season, which sure. means we might see a lot of John Murphy at the back end of the bullpen. For sure. What's going through your mind when you walk out there in a save situation? Because it's almost like no other pitching situation for anybody on a baseball field at any time. Yeah, I think it's definitely unique. I mean, it's really important. I mean, like the game's on the line. I mean, it's three, three runs or less, so I mean – Really, all I try to think about is one pitch at a time and just worrying about each individual hitter. I'm not trying to think about getting the third out. It's just one pitch at a time. And Moose talks about the one-pitch warrior all the time, and I feel like as a closer you really have to take that on or you won't be able to do it. And the final thing, being a part of that bullpen and seeing what you guys could do, especially in that VCU game where obviously it was great to see Drew Wilden get himself back on the mound. Oh, yeah. But, you know, it was at a – some sort of pitch cap he got through two innings to be able to see your young bullpen and your deep bullpen be able to use nine pitchers in nine innings and win a game how much confidence does that give you guys going forward in the season so much I mean it makes me really proud to be able to see young guys come in and be able to do as well as they have been so far and <coughs> just if they can keep doing that like we're good because I trust our lineup to put up runs put up enough runs where we're able to use like get to me in the ninth and get to Turnbull and fish in the seventh and eighth, or Elliot Zoner. Um, like I, it makes me very proud to see all those guys do what they do. Now I got to ask you one thing: you need one pitch to get an out. You taking your fastball, Turnbull sinker, or the fuzz slider? Oof! I think I'm gonna have to take the fuzz slider. <laughs> that uh, it's it's nasty. That one's he's thrown some nasty ones this year. But all three of those pitches, those are. If you can go that seven, eight, nine at the end of the bullpen, it seems like you guys are gonna win a lot of ball games oh, this yeah, year for sure. Well, John, thanks for joining us on the Maryland Baseball Network podcast this week, and good luck this weekend in DeLand against Stetson, a team. You guys have the number of a little bit, and hopefully the Terps can go down there and take sure. another series. For sure. Thanks, Connor. That was awesome. Our thanks to John Murphy for taking some time with us here on this edition of the Maryland Baseball Network podcast. And you have to think John Murphy will play a big role this weekend in DeLand, Florida, which is where the Terps go on the road to take on the Stetson Hatters. Of course, this Stetson team, the Terps saw last year, they came up to College Park. And you could argue or make a very strong argument that that was Maryland's best series win of the season last year. They lost the Friday night game, but winning on Saturday and Sunday. And the Terps took two of three from the Hatters last season. And this was a Stetson team that ended up hosting an NCAA regional last season as the number 11 national seed. They won that regional, actually swept the regional at home, and went to a super regional for the first time in school history. So this Stetson team was very, very good last season. However, they lost some key players, including Logan Gilbert, who was a first-round pick. He was their Friday night ace who beat Maryland last season. And now this Stetson team, they're 4-7. and seven as we record this podcast on Wednesday. However, they do play tonight a midweek game against Sacred Heart. So that will be game number 12 for them on the season. So they'll either be 5-7 and seven or 4-8 and eight going into this series against Maryland. 
And, Joe, this Stetson team, frankly, it's been a disappointing start for them. After getting to a Super Regional, we know you lost your ace, one of the best players in the country, one of the best pitchers in the country. But that's one guy you lost, and they have really gone downhill. Not a great start for the Stetson Hatters team. Yeah, it's just when we circled this series on our calendar, we expected a, a definitely a winning record Stetson team uh, going into DeLand. Uh, but they're 4-7, and seven, like you said. Um, they went 32, or it was, yeah, 32-3 and three at home last year. So t three losses at home. They already have six this year going into this series. Um, so that's crazy in and of itself. You lose the ace, like you said, and the ace you kind of thought you were getting in Mitchell Sanger. He's struggled out of the gates, already 0-3. I know wins and losses don't matter, but I think those three losses are kind of representative of the performances he's put together over the first three starts now he's had. And I don't know how he's going to mix into the series because he is your ace, but given how poor his two first starts went, went I don't think he started last weekend and made kind of a spot start, um, like you said earlier this week. So I don't know how he's going to play into the rotation this weekend. Uh, but Mitchell Sanger's supposed to be the ace, and he just hasn't been that out of the gates right now. And that's hard when you don't have the ace you thought you had. And it's interesting to get to Sanger as we'll talk about him. Last season, when the Hatters came to Maryland, Stetson won the first game 12-3. to Logan Gilbert was brilliant on Friday night, went 8-3, and a third, struck out 10 Maryland batters, allowed just two runs in that one. But the Terps came back on Saturday and what has to be Tyler Blome's best career start in game two. He went eight innings, struck out a career-high 12 batters, and allowed just one unearned run in a 6-1 to Maryland victory. And then on Sunday, it was an incredible pitching duel between Mitchell Sanger and Hunter Parsons, which had to be two of the best Sunday starters in the country at this point last season. Sanger was good. He allowed two runs over eight innings, got himself an eight-inning complete game in that one, but Parsons was better. Still the best start of his Maryland career, and he's had a lot of good ones. A complete game shutout for Hunter Parsons, the only one he has in his career. He allowed just two hits, struck out nine, did not issue a walk in that one. Hunter Parsons was incredible against Stetson last year, and now he moves up into the Friday roll against the Hatters, and you'll look for him to do that again on Friday night. I mean, I just remember that series from last year as one of the better pitching series that I remember wa watching between watching an eventual first-round pick and Logan Gilbert and then I know Maryland gave up the 12 runs on the Friday night, but they kind of didn't use their best relievers, kind of preserve them for Saturday and Sunday. And then Maryland, like you said, Tyler Bloom's probably best career start and one of Hardner Parsons' best career starts to only give up one run on Saturday and Sunday combined to win that series was awesome. Um, and then if you can kind of get that same Hunter Parsons-Mitchell-Sanger Sunday matchup from last year and insert that on a Friday night, that atmosphere would be totally incredible. And like I said, I don't know how Mitchell-Sanger is going to work into this weekend uh, after starting um, on Tuesday, I believe it was. Um, but um, if you can throw, show me Hunter Parsons and Mitchell-Sanger on Friday night to start this series, uh, that would be a joy to watch. It would be an awesome matchup to see a tall lefty um, in Hunter Parsons, who just doesn't seem to slow down after picking it up last year. So Stetson's done a lot of different things with their starting rotation so far this season. We don't know the official starters yet. We would assume for Maryland that it's Hunter Parsons on Friday, Zach Thompson on Saturday, and Trevor Labonte on Sunday, which it has been for the last couple weeks and is working out so far for the Terrapins. On the Stetson side, Mitchell Sanger came into this season thinking he's going to be the ace, the second coming of Logan Gilbert. He's a junior left-hander, six foot seven, had some great stuff last year. But this year just hasn't worked out. He started the season as the ace. First start came against John Sheff and the Virginia Tech Hokies. He went four and a third, 
didn't pitch terribly, gave up three runs on one hit, eight strikeouts, so he had the good strikeout stuff, but Joe, here was the issue. Five walks, and he hit five batters. Over four and a third, he allowed 10 free passes, and he had eight strikeouts. The ball was barely in play. He gave up just the one hit. So it wasn't great, but you think, all right, maybe he's just got you know some early season stuff going on, not finding the strike zone. He comes back for his second start, uh, February 23rd against Siena. He was not good, not effective at all. Started the game. He only recorded one out. He faced six batters, got an out, was not a strikeout, and walked the other five batters he faced, got pulled from the game, ended up getting charged with four earned runs in that one. And after that, Sanger did not start the following weekend. That was last weekend when Stetson played in another tournament in DeLand, Florida. Again, this team has played all of its games at home so far. Hosted the Weston Lake Mary Stetson Invitational against St. Louis, Georgetown, and Sacred Heart. He did not pitch over the weekend. The Hatters did sweep the weekend against those three teams. Not the greatest of competition, but they won all three games. However, Sanger did not start, but he did start on Tuesday. That was against Sacred Heart. Stetson this week, uh, two-game midweek series against Sacred Heart twice. It's actually pretty interesting. They played Sacred Heart on Sunday in the final game of that tournament they hosted. Sacred Heart just stayed in Stetson, took a day off, and then played Stetson back-to-back nights Tuesday, and then we'll wait on the result for the Wednesday night game. But a very interesting dynamic there. So they're basically playing a three-game series. But Sanger got the start in a midweek against Sacred Heart on Tuesday night. He's just trying to find something that can work for him. And again, it wasn't great. He goes an inning and two-thirds, allows three runs on two hits, just one strikeout, two walks, and he threw 41 pitches to get through an inning and two-thirds. So something seems to be wrong with Mitchell Sanger, and we may not see him at all this weekend against the Terps. Yeah, so obviously us not being a part of the Stetson program don't really know what's wrong, but Sanger threw 93 innings last year, which is a lot. I mean, your best pitchers usually go around 100, and they had two – other starters that went 100 so they really use their starters and like to keep their starters in Um, and then I think he threw another in between 20 and 30 innings over the summer so by the end of his summer playing baseball from February through August and Joe you would know how how he did the summer because I plead the fifth um, I, I, Joe I, worked for the Orleans Firebirds on the Cape, which is where Mitchell Sanger spent his summer. Yeah, and I think he was a little gassed by the time he got to Orleans and then threw another uh, 20 to 30 innings and kind of struggled with command by the end of the summer. And I think that's what's kind of transferring over into this year because if you look at his stats, uh, all those walks and hit by pitches, as you said, hitters are only hitting 150 against him. Like, he just doesn't seem to be able to put the ball over the plate right now. Uh, and if he can, like – he held hitters under 200 last year. Like, he's a very good pitcher. Uh, he projected to be a very high draft pick uh, entering this year. Um, so I don't know exactly what the issue is, uh, but it just doesn't seem like his command and control is there right now. Uh, and if it was, I'm sure it would be looking a lot more like last season compared to the first six innings he's thrown this year. So if we don't see Sanger... I, I feel like there's a chance we could see him on Sunday at this point after he started on Tuesday, but we'll see what's going on with him. If we don't see him, this is at least what Stetson did last weekend when they swept that tournament at home. They did not start Sanger in any of the three games. On Friday, they started Chris Gonzalez, a sophomore left-hander. He did not face the Terps last season, but he had a pretty solid start against St. Louis on Friday. Gonzalez went seven innings, allowed two runs on six hits, 10 Ks, 
and three walks. So he did a solid job in the Friday night role filling in for Sanger this weekend. The Hatters won that game over St. Louis by a score of 3-2, to two, walked it off in the 14th inning on that one on an Eric Fogo RBI single to walk it off. So they've recently played a 14-inning game as well after they tied the game in the ninth when they were down by a run to the Billikens. Played another close game on Saturday against another D.C. team, took on the Georgetown Hoyas in that one. The starter was Robbie Petto, who is one of the best recruits that this Stetson team got this season. And Robbie's an interesting story. He actually signed at North Carolina out of high school, was a very highly rated recruit, but things just didn't work out at North Carolina. He redshirted, transferred to JUCO in Florida, then came to Stetson this year and is all over draft boards this season. And he had a solid start against the Hoyas as well on Saturday. He went four and two-thirds, allowed two runs, eight strikeouts. Didn't get as deep into the game as he wanted to, but he showed off his good strikeout stuff. And Stetson won that game five to four. Then Sunday in their first one against Sacred Heart, they win that game 11 to five. Daniel Parrott gets the start in that one. He allowed five runs on four hits, eight Ks, and two walks. Again, Parrott, just a freshman left-hander out of Miami Lakes, Florida. So he's another young guy in this rotation. So a couple of question marks maybe if Sanger doesn't go, but it's still solid pitching for Stetson, and they got the sweep. But again, turn around, they lose to Sacred Heart on Tuesday, and maybe you think they're playing better baseball because of this weekend, but they didn't play good competition, and then Sacred Heart came back and beat them on Tuesday, and it still looks like they're struggling. It just doesn't seem like the run supports there either. Like, they haven't been putting up runs. Last year, obviously known for the pitching between Perkins, uh, Logan Gilbert, and Sanger. Uh, they're just not putting up runs consistently. That first weekend in those three games, they only put up five combined runs. Then in a mid midweek, only put up two. Their next few games, they only, get, like, scored ten runs in three games. Um, and they just, even against the lesser competition, three against St. Louis, only five against Georgetown, uh, that you had the 11-run outburst against Sacred Heart, but that's not a really great opponent. And then you come back the next day, like you said, and only score four. They're not consistently putting up runs. And when you have question marks at pitching right now, when your ace isn't pitching that great, it just seems like it's a, it's a tough situation for Stetson to be in. And it could be a very good opportunity for Maryland to just go in there and kind of flex the muscles a little bit after a tough weekend last weekend. Offensively for Stetson, they really have two guys that are really seeing the ball well right now. That starts with Austin Bogart. He's hitting 349, has started every game for this Stetson team so far. Bogart leading this team in hits, leading the team in hitting. He was in this Stetson lineup last year as well. He's a junior, plays the outfield. Last season, he went 0 for 1 at the plate against Maryland, but actually a two-way player also pitched three innings. But now he's full-time into the lineup for Stetson. So Bogart has been very, very good. After that, Jonathan Miola. He's kind of the senior leader on this Stetson team. Miola, the third baseman this season. Again, he was the starting third baseman last year. Went 2 for 10 with a couple of RBIs in that series against the Terps. But Miola has hit it very well so far this season in 11 games. He's hitting 293, and he already has six doubles in 11 games, does Miola, and he's driven in eight runs. But overall, Joe, this Stetson team, they have just one home run through 11 games this season. The run production is just not there. 
and Hunter Parsons is going to be loving that. If they're just making weak contact, he's a guy who's just going to pound the sinker in there. They're just going to chop it into the ground. Same thing with Thompson. If the Terps infield defense is good, it seems like these pitchers could get deep into the games for Maryland. I wouldn't be surprised to see Hunter Parsons go eight innings again and have a really good start. Um, that's a pretty good take on your part of just being able to throw that sinker ball and these guys on Stetson that just can't seem to barrel up balls. Um, not a lot of extra base hits, obviously not a lot of home runs like you said. Um, if I'm Stetson, um, another guy that you need to get going, I know you mentioned the guys that have been hitting well, but there's a guy in Jacob Kush who should be very good. He's a preseason All-A-Sun um, recipient, um, but he's only hitting 190, and that's a guy that should be hitting closer to the top of the leaderboards on that team, closer to 300, uh, but he's struggled so far this year, only has one extra base hit, one RBI, and he started in all 11 games. So that's a guy you need to watch out for. That's a guy that they need to get going. Uh, he only went one for 12 against Maryland last week or last year, um, but he, this is the third straight season he's starting at center fielder and at the top of the order. Um, they need to get him going, and if he can start getting going, I think that's a kind of a spark plug that will get the entire lineup going. It just hasn't been there yet. For the Terps on the offensive side, obviously we talked about the pitching. The bullpen will be ready to go. It should be Parsons, Thompson, and Labonte. On the offensive side, it looks to be like Tommy Gardner will still be in the lineup. Don't think A.J. Lee will be quite ready yet for this weekend. It'd be great if he could be, but it doesn't seem like Lee's going to be in the lineup for the Terps. So we should see Tommy Gardner. Gardner did start all three games last season against Stetson, but he had an 0 for 11. So hopefully he could get himself a hit against the Hatters. And then we could see Sebastian holti Monsera as well, who's been swinging it well. We'll see if he gets some time at DH. Maxwell Costas again playing his first game at first base on Tuesday against Delaware since middle school. Looked pretty good defensively, also hit a home run. So look for him in that Terps lineup. But Joe, this weekend, your pick to click for the Terps. You can really take it either way. Either go with a guy you think is going to hit it out of the ballpark for Maryland or just a guy who you think will accumulate the most hits the biggest hits for the Terps this weekend against the Hatters. I'm going to go with a guy you just mentioned in Sebastian Holte-Mansara. Um, and you kind of saw on uh, Tuesday with the way Rob Vaughn did it, um, with kind of Michael Panero and Cody Milton kind of still gaining their footing in their first real seasons of getting action um, and kind of struggling right now. Uh, that allowed Rob Vaughn to kind of take a risk and put Maxwell at first the other day and that opens up the designated hitter role and put Sebastian Holte-Mansara there and I really like that if Maxwell can kind of hold his ground there at first base and not be a liability and that allows Holte-Mansara to go into the designated hitter role um, I mean I think that does a lot for this offense it's already been pretty good above expectations so far this season um, and I mean if you know me, you know I like random stats and just tweeting them at random parts of the day. Yes, you uh, do. One of, my one of my stats today, um, I was just looking up guys on Maryland that have multi-hit games. And the leaders right now are Randy Bednar with four, Taylor Wright three, Maxwell Costas three, Caleb Walls three, and Sebastian Holte-Mansara with three. thing with that is the top four guys have started in all 11 games, so that's Bednar, Wright, Costas, and Walls. Sebastian Holte-Mansara, who's tied for second with three, has only 13 at-bats, while everyone else has 11 starts. So that just goes to show how well Holte-Mansara is hitting right now, and it's obviously not over an expanded amount of time, but he's hitting over 500 right now in his at-bats. He hit home run Tuesday. Um, he was very pumped, and I think if a pick that hit the ball out of the park or accumulate the most hits, I think he's not a bad option to go with, and I think obviously if he's in the starting lineup, it's all dependent on whether Maxwell plays first and he can slide in the designated hitter role or if Vote needs a day of rest, he can catch. Uh, but I think that's a very good pick, and he looks very, very good at the plate right now. 
I'm going to go with the other catcher on this team. I'm going to go with Justin Vogt. He's hitting 250 at the moment right now for the Terps. He's got a home run and five RBIs. The reason I say this is de the game against Delaware on Tuesday came into it not swinging the bat too great for the Terps as of late. Obviously, he has that catcher spot locked down because of the defense, and you know what he can bring with the bat, but was in a little bit of a mini slump maybe. But he got three hits on Tuesday, and he got some of those baseball hits that you can just tell this is going to break him open. A bloop single into left field, a bloop single into right field, and an infield single on kind of a half swing down the third baseline. And I talked to him after the game. He said, look, I just needed those. I just, he said he just needed those hits, and he feels like the doubles and the homers will come after that. So I've got Justin Vogt this weekend as my pick to click in Stetson. If those two guys can get going, along with the other guys who are really heating up in the lineup, including guys like Gardner, Bednar's been hitting well all season. The Terps could be looking good, and it's really either way. You know, you thought about this series coming into the year. If you're going to see Sanger, wow, that's going to be tough, almost as tough as Gilbert was last year. Let's try to get the other two. But now you look at it two ways. One, if you just avoid Sanger, that's probably a good thing. On the other hand, if they pitch Sanger, he hasn't shown the ability to throw a strike this season. So either way, it's crazy to think about maybe going into the season, but going down to Stetson this weekend, the Terps have the advantage in pitching and hitting over a team that went to a Super Regional last year. That's just crazy to think about because I remember us breaking down the schedule and kind of pointing at this as a really tough weekend after Louisiana Lafayette to kind of bounce back from. Um, and like you said, I agree. They have the hitting advantage and pitching advantage. And the fact that they might not see Mitchell Sanger um, the entire weekend, or if it's even just a little bullpen roll after he pitched on Tuesday, that that's crazy. Like there's no, you're not really getting the best ace and you, you don't have to look for Saturday and Sunday to try to get wins and lose Friday night. Uh, like they did a lot last year and like they did against Setson last year. They can go in and convincingly uh, take all three games if they just put their best effort forward and they look a lot like they did last weekend in many points and like they did on Tuesday against Delaware. So for the Terps this weekend, three games down in DeLand, Florida. It all starts on Friday, March 8th, a 6.30 p.m. first pitch from Melching Field at Conrad Park in DeLand, Florida, the home of the Stetson Hatters. 6 p.m. for the MBN pregame show, 6.30 first pitch. Taylor Smythe and I will be on the call from DeLand on Saturday, also a 6.30 p.m. first pitch, 6 o'clock pregame show. And then the final game scheduled for Sunday, that is a 1 p.m. first pitch, 12.30 p.m. for Terps pregame. So we thank Joe Catapano for coming on and being a co-host with us this week. And thank you as well to John Murphy for sitting down with us for an interview this week on the Maryland Baseball Network podcast. And I thank the rest of our MBN crew. And I'm Connor Newcomb saying thank you so much for listening to the podcast this week. Remember to follow us on Twitter at MDBaseballNet all weekends for updates on the game and listen live on Mixler all three games this weekend against Stetson again Friday at 6.30, Saturday at 6.30, and Sunday at 1 o'clock. I will be down in DeLand with the Terps as they take on Stetson, looking to take another series from the Hatters. So thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed this week's podcast. And so long, everyone, until Friday. First pitch at 6.30, the Terps and the Hatters on the Maryland Baseball Network.